the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Our friend, Professor Don Siegel. Donald S. Siegel is the Foundation Professor of Public Policy and Management and Director at the School of Public Affairs at Arizona State University. He and colleague Robert Sauer, Professor of Economics at the University of London, have been writing a lot on uh, social, economic, and political uh, fallout and downwash from the coronavirus. Their latest is in um, at the uh, uh, excuse me at the American Daily Independent, and it is titled "Fauciism, Fascism, and Communism." Did the U.S. government fund its old its own Pearl Harbor? Doctor Siegel, Professor Siegel, thanks for doing this, and thanks for coming back on. My pleasure, sir. You uh, start with a notion of what we just uh, spent uh, the weekend commemorating a uh, 77th anniversary of. Walk us through what got you thinking about this here. Well, uh, I was, uh, you know, we were kind of looking at the muted celebration of the 77th anniversary of D-Day mm-hmm. and thinking about the contrast between the courage and bravery of our youth in 1944 and the boldness of uh, and the courage of the wartime leaders like Winston Churchill, Dwight Eisenhower, George Patton. And in stark contrast to what we see today, we have panic-stricken youth who are uh, fearful. Uh, the, the term that we used for them in a previous essay was plucked chickens, mm-hmm. uh, using Stalin's example, yep. of, of, of the young people who been, uh, you know, just stricken with this fear, but more importantly, are effete and feckless leaders, uh, Boris Johnson in the U.K. and Joe Biden in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And when we were thinking about that, uh, we were thinking about how World War II began. And that's why in the essay we have a picture of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that began with an unprovoked attack by a foreign enemy uh, who had been, of course, uh, greatly affected by the oil embargo. Uh, Many Americans may not know this, but at the time of Pearl Harbor, uh, 80% of Japan's oil came from the U.S. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking about, well, we know that China had been uh, severely affected by the Trump administration's import tariffs and export uh, restrictions. And it was also becoming clearer uh, that every day there's more and more evidence that the virus leaked from a lab that had been supported by the Chinese Communist Party at the Wuhan Institute. Now, you and I both know that a year ago when this was first discussed, Anyone who mentioned this was considered a conspiracy theory. Right. Or racist. Evidently, I'd forgotten that, but people reminded me, and I looked up, and sure enough, it was also not only a conspiracy, yeah. but racism. To, uh... Well, it seems like we're allowed, to say, we're allowed to say Indian variants 
but we're not allowed to say China virus. Indian variant, Brazilian, and Andrew Cuomo, if I'm not mistaken, used to call this the European virus, weirdly. Do you remember that? Yes, and the U.K. variant mm-hmm. and all these other yeah. terms. But uh, so it got me thinking, and, and, and we had written a, a series of other essays, uh, about the need to do a serious and thorough investigation of gain-of-function research that was going on at this lab that was funded by the U.S. taxpayer, which we now know. At first it was denied, but now it's, it's clear that it's been funded both directly and indirectly. But then we learned over the weekend that, that the Department of Defense was also funding that lab. So I think it's natural, uh, given the enormous destruction that's been caused, by the virus and, of course, more importantly, by the uh, quarantines and the lockdowns and the reopenings, that we have a thorough congressional and maybe criminal investigation of the origins of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, that means uh, an investigation of Dr. Fauci and his inner circle. One of the things that's interesting, you write about this, uh, Professor Siegel, is that we've gotten quite the document dump uh, from Dr. Fauci's emails. Um, There are a lot of redactions in them, as you point out. Um, Might be good to see the personal emails and other correspondence as well, right? I mean, this is a man who didn't fear deviating from his office and posing for glossy magazines. In his backyard, he wanted to share his life with us. Let's have at it. Well, he's become a celebrity, and and people who are old enough to remember that this is not the first time that he's been a public celebrity and lobbied Congress for funds. He he was promoting this idea that everyone was, um, during the AIDS crisis, that ordinary Americans are at risk of contracting. Oh, yes, the heterosexual AIDS hysteria, right? Right, and he used that panic. Uh, to lobby Congress successfully for huge amounts of money to fund uh, AIDS research. And and that may be worthwhile, but I think he learned how to manipulate the media and how to manipulate politicians into into supporting his his funding agenda. And, of course, now it's the vaccines. The, The latest dimension of the propaganda campaign is the vaccines and vaccinating uh, kids as young as five, it looks like now, uh, and that making sure that they're all vaccinated before they go back to school in the fall, which I'm sure is coming down the pipe. Uh, it's happening in many universities, by the way, as well around the country. One of the um, one of the uh, things that's funny about America is when a tragedy hits, we improve our vocabulary. After nine eleven, we went into study mode on Islam and the Arab world. And we taught ourselves all kinds of new vocabulary words. One of the words that uh, Americans have had to teach themselves or learn about, well, we've learned a lot over the last year and a half. But the latest one, just when we thought we uh, we had been exposed to everything, is this notion of gain-of-function experiment. Now, I, I wonder, Don, this has become such a controversial thing. If you could explain it, A, explain gain-of-function research – and also, um, answer those who say, who really cares? What difference does it make? Uh, the Hillary Clinton question. Well, uh, gain-of-function research is, is the result of scientific experiments where they've learned how to trick viruses, mm-hmm. coronaviruses especially, 
uh, into moving quickly from one species of animal to another or from one cell culture to another. And uh, so they're designed to create new and more virulent and more infectious strains of diseases in order to predict and therefore defend against threats that might conceivably arise in nature. Mm -hmm. These experiments were outlawed for a while and then brought back in, uh, I believe, 2017 Mm -hmm. with the enthusiastic support of Dr. Fauci, Mm -hmm. by the way. Mm -hmm. When others, like Professor Lipsitch at Harvard University, warned, he said, the NIH, uh, these gain-of-function experiments have done almost nothing to improve our preparedness for pandemics, yet they risk creating an accidental pandemic, which is exactly what they may have done, if the lab leak theory is is true. Uh, So there were people who warned about this, but there was a strong contingent uh, within NIH that really supported doing this. And, and the argument that they made is that it would protect us. One of the, any- yeah, no, one, one of the interesting things I've seen a few liberal spokesmen now saying is, well, we were wrong to libel so quickly or label so quickly theories about a leak from the lab as a conspiracy. What we think is the real conspiracy is those who think China did this deliberately. So the liberals are now kind of dividing up culpability amongst themselves and now setting the new standard of conspiratorial thinking as uh, that the Chinese did this deliberately. Now, I have to tell you, Donald, I, is that is that so crazy? Is it so crazy? I, everywhere I read, it says no one is alleging they did this deliberately. Why do we so breathlessly have to say this when we know very well what rogue regimes uh, have have tested to do with what we used to be familiar with is biological and chemical warfare. Is it that crazy to assume that they may have done this deliberately? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy to assume that it's that it's possible. Or to, to yeah, to think it's worthy of investigation. That's the better way to put well, it. Okay, certainly worthy of investigation. Uh, you know, a, uh, let, let, me pay, let me take this quick break. Let me pick up on that with you on the other side. Can I keep you another uh, segment, Donald? Sure. Oh, absolutely. great. All right. Yeah, let me have you talk about that uh, competing conspiracy theories or the major conspiracy theory and the minor one or uh, the great Satan and the, and, the, and the little Satan. We are delighted to be doing so with Professor Donald Siegel of ASU. He and his colleague uh, Robert Sauer have a piece at the American Daily Independent, Fauci, Fascism, excuse me, Fauciism, fascism, and communism. Did the U.S. government fund its own Pearl Harbor? We'll be right back. Welcome back. Professor Donald Siegel is the Foundation Professor of Public Policy and Management and Director at the School of Public Affairs at ASU. His colleague Robert Sauer is a professor of economics at the University of London over at the American Daily Independent. They wrote Fauciism, Fascism, and Communism. Did the U.S. government fund its own Pearl Harbor? Professor Siegel, right before the break, the question I'm asking you, and it's, I, you know, it's a big one in a sense using a sp- smaller specific. You're a professor of public policy. I know we often r- rub our hands together and worry about um, – overestimating threats, especially after the second Gulf War, but I've always worried about underestimating them as a greater danger, to be honest with you, when you consider Pascal's wager and 
foreign policy and defense policy implications, which is why I'm asking about China, that we are now learning that the, the virology lab is, is most likely implicated, certainly much more likely than people thought a year ago, and that uh, the stampede to call it an accident seems to me just just a little precious and a little peremptory on other possibilities. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we certainly need to do a thorough uh, investigation. It can't be the WHO, though, uh, because they're too tied to the Chinese government. And it has to be done. I would like to see it done domestically and uh, in a bipartisan way. I mean, how could someone say that we shouldn't investigate the origins of this? I mean, how could anyone say that responsibly? And we know that there has been U.S. taxpayer funding of this research. That's beyond the shadow of a doubt. I mean, nobody can question that anymore. And, you know, uh, Seth, I spent almost my entire career trying to talk about all the good things that result when, uh, you know, research is funded, right. whether it's funded by the U.S. government right. or funded by industry. Right. But we have to be honest. We have to be intellectually honest. And look at those situations where bad things happen when we fund, for example, gain-of-function research. Uh, as Professor Lipschitz warned, he said to the NIH, don't do this. You know, you're funding research that makes viruses more dangerous, and, 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 and that can be used by our enemies. Uh, and we don't know if that happened. I'm not going to say that, that they did this purposely. I don't think anyone can say that right now. We don't have enough evidence. But what I think we should all agree on is that we need a thorough investigation of the origins of this. And if there, if there was a cover-up, we, we need, that needs to be investigated as well. Do you think that uh, there was a cover-up here that, <clears throat> for different purposes, more for ideological than self-preservation or what have you, do you think there was a cover-up here in the uh, media, in the information community, Professor Siegel, that has them wanting to not push so hard or demand much investigation from this administration of the origins of the coronavirus. They're going to end up, they've ended up with perhaps what I, well, it should be really a big journalistic scandal already. It could get worse yet. Well, there's so many journalistic scandals. We could have, you could have a whole show on that yeah. about how irresponsible journalists have been yep. by ignoring the thing that I find most <laughs> disheartening is that they've totally almost ignored the monumental cost of the of the quarantines and the lockdowns. Right. Right. But they certainly had no intellectual curiosity about this once Trump, uh, you know, said that it might have come out of there. I mean, I think they lost all interest in it. And you have to remember, it looks like Fauci was manipulating scientists to say, well, no, this, this lab leak theory is, is uh, and he might have manipulated the high-tech, our new high-tech masters. We have two sets of masters now. We have the bureaucratic masters, the infectious disease experts like Fauci, who tell us which industries we can open and, you know, and, and how, how much freedom we have. And then we have the high-tech masters who control the debate about whether it leaked from the lab. You, you couldn't publish any, you, you know, you, you, you couldn't circulate that. You were, you were called a conspiracy theorist if you said that. 
uh, Facebook would not let you. That's right. Facebook, until about two weeks ago, would not let you publish on this. And it makes me ask, if Facebook is relenting, do they not see some kind of uh, hypocrisy in the notion that the concealment of news actually has serious consequences and the promotion of fake news has serious consequences? consequences as they've lectured us they were the biggest peddlers of fake news for a year and a half on this well they've also been the greatest cheerleaders for the state-sponsored religion state-run religion and the public health Mm -hmm. police state Mm -hmm. Uh, you know and the media it's been all all uh, areas in the media they they frame this maximal use of non-pharmaceutical interventions as patriotism it's patriotic to stay home and save lives it's patriotic to, uh, uh, you know, wear a mask, even after you're vaccinated. All of this, you know, the media and our high-tech masters are on the same page and the infectious disease experts. They all follow the same narrative. So I I don't know who started it, but I all know they they seem to be on the same page. It's a page that lacks such an amazing amount of common sense you almost have to wonder how bright these people are. Now, I think Anthony Fauci is probably very bright and brighter than people have given him credit for. I think he's manipulated a lot here to a fairly well. I think he's hoodwinked a lot here to the fairly, to a fairly well. But it doesn't take a lot of common sense to look at the data that you and I have looked at and a handful of others, Don, and realize that there are other containment strategies that don't have costs, but they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it because they wanted to do as much damage as possible. And for that, they should never be forgiven. I think they well, deliberately the, did want to cause damage. I think they the I think they fundamentally wanted to take down yeah. a successful presidency with this. Well, and they wanted to do what they've always wanted to do their entire careers, which is employ this uh, maximal use of non-pharmaceutical intervention. That whole, the whole range of totalitarian policies that they've implemented, instead of doing the Great Barrington approach, which is focused protection, that would have been the right policy. But they vilified people like Scott Atlas and all the other infectious disease experts who signed the Great Barrington Declaration, and they were ignored in the media. You know, uh, there are people in this country who aren't even aware of that. Mm -hmm. That's right. That the norm before 2020 was focused protection. The norm wasn't this, you know, wide range of totalitarian (laughs) policies shutting down. It's never been done before. No, it's not. No. Everything. No. Everything everything about it was novel and new. It was deviant, destructive, unprecedented, totalitarian. I could go on and on. But it, it, it... all, all of that is true, and the most worrisome thing is how much it was embraced, which is a, a seminar and, a, uh, and an interview and a discussion, Don, which I'd love to do with you another time. If you'll come back on that, I'd love to pick up on that uh, maybe next week. Why were so many people able to be so persuaded? Don Siegel, Foundation Professor of Public Policy and Management and Director at the School of Public Affairs, Arizona State University. His piece, AmericanDailyIndependent.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. My friends at Trades Unlimited are here for all your roofing needs. I used them just yesterday. They're great people. I've been down to their offices and warehouse. I've met Susan, the whole team. I really do like them. Great people, great work ethic, and they have an A-plus rating at the BBB, Better Business Bureau. I can understand why with their attitude and approach. Right now, they're focusing your attention on foam roofs, which help insulate from not only the heat and noise, but most importantly, from water leaks. The hot summer sun is also a great time for foam recoating. Protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited, 480-483-1775. That's 480-483-1775. Or find them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs, installation, repair, you name it. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. You know, we never talk. Um, and by the way, thank you so much for your uh, email response to my minor input on the uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday monkey song yesterday. Okay, and corrections. That, Let's fix it. Uh, yeah, no, we needed to fix this. So yesterday well, I did a whole thing on Pleasant Valley Sunday being um, yeah. a Davy Jones uh, production. And well, while he and was in the band, it was Mickey Dolenz's voice. It, it was his voice, but also the background voice was, in fact, Davy Jones. And... Uh, I guess a lot of people don't realize that both uh, Mike Nesmith and Peter Tork were professional musicians mm-hmm. in the L.A. area. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Mickey and Davey were both actors. Mm-hmm. Davey was an actor on the London stage. Mm-hmm. I think it was Oliver. And uh, Mickey actually, uh, and I remember this, which is really scary, um, in the late 50s, he was a uh, circus boy, and his name on the show was Mickey Braddock. Uh, which is kind of scary, hmm. uh, which gives you an idea of how old and senile I am. Hmm. But um, but anyway, thank you for thank you for responding with the most concise uh, one worded email I've ever received in my entire life. Yeah. Um, for the audience's think, edification, let's just say it's not a word I can say over the air. Well, that's exactly right, and I and I uh, can't thank you enough. Anyway, You're welcome. Um, I obviously read a lot and I think a lot and I listen a lot and I think about all the minutiae that everybody talks about both here and elsewhere online and in videos and I I think a lot of people keep missing the point that um, we need to focus on keeping America first. And we're not doing that. Obviously, the current administration or regime, as I call them, um, doesn't put America first, because if they did, why would you go to Guatemala? Why would you go to the U.K. and Europe unless there was some financial gain to be had? But I, I think that's what needs to be really focused on more is what's in America's national interest? Uh, what puts America first? in the uh, Washington agenda. And I just I just don't understand why people don't think about that because, you know, the previous administration put America first. The current one obviously isn't putting America first based on the border stuff, uh, the, the 
killing the pipeline while approving the Russian pipeline, um, the higher taxes that are going to no doubt come out, and the higher uh, gas prices, the higher uh, lumber prices, and, and none of that uh, puts America first. And I think that's one thing we need to just kind of push down everybody's throats in America. Putting America first, period. And nothing that this administration has done has done that at all. Drives me nuts. One of the interesting things, if you listen to the way Kamala Harris has been speaking about her trip, whether it was yesterday with Lester Holt, the day before in Venezuela, or uh, this morning, is that she tries to build this. I don't. I don't think I have the audio, but she tries to build this this line of defense, self-defense, as to why she spent time in Venezuela getting to the answer that's best for America. And she talks about it being a long time. And her version of American interests, what's good for America, what's putting America first, is engaging in this kind of backdoor, um, this backdoor progressive policy that hurts America right now. Can you hold the line while I go to break? I want to pick up on this theme. It's well enough for us to speak of good and bad and right and wrong and keeping America greater, destroying America. Uh, but the problem is the other side, they don't see what they're doing as destroying America. This is why we have different meanings for the same word. They think they're helping it. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rob, and surprise, thank you, Rob. Talking about just how how natural it would be to put America first seems not to be such a um, such a um, such a hard thing to grasp. You would think it would be a uniting thing, but it's weird what's become, Rob. It's weird what's become antagonistic in this country. Praising America, being patriotic, putting America first, saying America was great and standing for the national anthem. All of these things 10, 15 years ago would have never been stories because they never would have had movements supportive of them. Now they do. That's a big change. Oh, it is. And, and again, I, I look at from you know January 20th to the present between uh, canceling all of Donald Trump's executive orders to all the crap that's been going on in the last few months, including ignoring the border, uh, since I live in Arizona, and you do too, um, I really believe that uh, putting America first really isn't a very high priority no. in this current current regime, and that really bothers me. And what bothers me even more is that so many people uh, apparently voted for somebody like this, uh, in the current regime, and they never thought about, uh, you know, the bureaucrats and the underlings and all the advisors that uh, came into this current regime who are advising uh, against everything that puts America first. And that really bothers me, and I think more Americans need to understand that. Yeah, this will be the first probably full-fledged exercise in, a, in, in, in the rule and governance of an administration that truly has completely embraced the Blame America First school of thought. 
One yeah. might have thought Barack Obama was engaging in that. But remember, his problem was apologizing. It was an apology tour that irked us so much mm-hmm. in his first few year, uh, first few months in office. We are yeah. well beyond apology. We just indict ourselves now. We don't say we're sorry for our past wrongs. We say we have engaged in past wrongs that were so bad they still afflict us today. Well, yeah, and that's what I think is even worse. I think the current regime is even worse about that because yes. you know, most of us could figure out Obama and, yeah, black guy or half black and apology tours. But I think that um, what's going on right now is even worse because they're not even paying attention or doing anything to put America first. And I, I just, I just, I'm, I'm speechless and I'm flummoxed about anybody that voted for Joe Biden uh, who didn't understand that beyond, okay, yeah, Donald Trump had mean tweets and, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, and again, a lot of people probably voted because of that, but they never thought about putting America first. And that's what we really need to focus on. And I don't think, well, certainly the media and uh the general public really thinks about that. Well, in the 80s, think, you know, in the 80s, to. Rob, we talked about in the academic realm, we talked about ethnocentrism and cultural superiority and no culture being better than any other. We shouldn't condemn or criticize other cultures for their behavior. Um, you know what I'm talking about and what that mm-hmm. has translated to and leaked out to, I think, in the larger sphere of public life is that mm-hmm. to praise our country, never mind not criticizing other cultures, is the jingoistic thing to do. This was a quaint academic notion like critical race theory, but it is now uh, like the virus at the, uh, at, the, at the Wuhan lab. It is now leaked out of the university system, out of the ivory tower – and affected and infected so much public thought. And none of the academics want to put America first. Right? Well, they I mean, can't. They can't. They can't because they are they are part and parcel. They can't put America first because they are part and parcel of the instruction in relativism. They are part and parcel of the instruction of cultural relativism that combined with progressivism says America wasn't that great because we can only determine good and bad through comparison and to compare to another culture when they have their traditions is to um, engage in, if not ethnocentrism, this new phrase I hate so much, othering. Yep, and they're wrong. And they're wrong. And it's, it's bad to teach young kids all about that. Right. They need to understand the greatness of America, and um, I am hoping that uh, more schools will start doing that. Well, there's no uh, culture, interestingly enough, there's no culture I know of that condemns itself for its achievements. That seems to exist only in the West. There's no culture I know of that engages in the notion that to condemn America is to engage in ethnocentrism. You don't get that from China. You don't get that from Russia. You don't get that 
from the potentates in in uh, the Arab world or in the OIC or in African countries or in authoritarian uh, 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 governances in South America. You just don't get that kind of self-reflection or self-flagellation. It's something very unique to the West, self-introspection. The difference between self-introspection, though, and self-criticism can be one of degree, and that degree is defined by one word, and that is stupidity. That is stupidity. It is one thing to point out your own weaknesses. It is another thing to think that they are worse than other countries. They're not. I simply don't believe Professor Kendi. I simply don't believe him when he says he has students that tell him they didn't learn about slavery in America. I simply think he's a liar. Portions of the show brought to you by my friend Solar Sandy. If you're thinking of ditching those utility bills and going solar with Solar Sandy, she will cover your power bills and your solar panel payments for your first year and give you a $1,000 bonus at signing. Solar Sandy is the essence of integrity and knowledge. She actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. To get started with Solar Sandy and seeing if those utility companies may owe you money, which happens with their clients, go to AskSolarSandy.com. That's AskSolarSandy.com. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. I was uh, asked to read that list I gave in my monologue by a few of you to redo that, and I'm happy to. And you can always get my monologues at YouTube.com. Just type in 960 The Patriot in the search window. Hit subscribe. They're all free. What are the dangers from the left? I, I, I said I would argue extremism in the defense of extremism. If changing a country's founding date is not extreme, I do, know, I do not know what is. But not since the French Revolution has that been tried anywhere, so far as I know, outside of the novel 1984. And the two methods of actualizing extremism are via lies and censorship. Revisionism and propaganda are part of lies. They are the decisive parts of them. But dangers from the left beyond the extreme of the extreme of date-changing and revisionism includes the notion that to be colorblind is to be racist, that America is systemically racist, that police target black men, that men should be able to compete in women's sports in schools, that men can menstruate, that pronouns can be arbitrarily selected and changed, as can gender, as should children be able to make those choices, that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to win the 2016 election, that terrorist states and organizations that target America and her allies should be funded, that children should be taught to think in racial categories, that children should be taught to think in racial categories as young as two years old, that children should be taught about gender and gender fluidity, and that children should be taught about gender and gender fluidity as young as kindergarten, that fathers are unnecessary, that the idea of family should be disrupted. I could go on, but it reminds me of Thomas More's line, I show you the times. Until tomorrow. Thank you very much. God bless you. If you didn't get on today, call back tomorrow. We'll put you right on. Class dismissed.